It's time for the View in Your Mirror podcast. I'm Katie Harms, and along with Lisa Rubin, we help you check in and curate the best possible you and the best view in your mirror. We share tips, tricks, and strategies from our 35 plus years in our respective industries. We talk about your day from morning to night and everything in between. We share our uniqueness, relish in our shared experiences. Along the way, we share conversation with fabulous people who give us their own thought-provoking insights. So come along as we help you hone the best view in your mirror. (laughs) Good day, Lisa. Good day, Katie. Good day. We have a really important, we have an important podcast today, I think, and a really fabulous guest, a woman by the name of Sally Mixon. I'm not going to say the name of the organization because I'm going to slaughter it, but she has created a business really to help first responders with mental health. And she is doing this through work with horses. And she has teamed up with the people at Canterbury Park. And I heard of Sally through Mark Irving who is the most fabulous guy and probably the biggest hype guy I've ever met in my life. Someday maybe we'll have Mark on and couldn't make it happen for this show, but Mark wanted nothing more than to get Sally in front of people because of the importance of the work that she's doing because mental health is critically important. And now we want you to stay with us. And we know it's a little bit more of a heavy topic, but we promise there's really wonderful things coming out of this. And I cannot tell you, I mean, personally, having gone through struggles, through health issues and living with a person who is a first responder and all of the things that come with us with that, I think this is important work. Now, Lisa and I were having a conversation before we came on about our preamble to the show. And I, as I normally do, took a pivot. And always a pivot, Katie, (laughs) especially before we start recording. (laughs) Which can drive Lisa, does drive Lisa a little crazy, but hey, she's still here. We're still doing the podcast how many years later. And I told her how fantastic she looked and just yes. And it has to do with what she's wearing and she has the wrong bra. Let's just get it out there, Katie. (laughs) I've got the wrong bra on today. (laughs) Lisa Rubin has the wrong bra on today. You heard it here first. And it just, I don't think it's ever happened in all the years that I've known her. But Katie, guess what? Here's the deal. You noticed that right away. But I noticed it because it looks fabulous. It does not look fabulous. Okay, well, we differ then on the opinion of the fact that it looks fabulous. And you're really going to hate this, that we're going to talk about this. So we, I thought, well, you know, boobs and mental health. Let's just, let's just put it out there. Boobs, bras, and mental health. I'm sure somewhere we can make a connection to all of it, but But what I want to say is she's got on a sports bra and a beautiful silk blouse over it. So the sports bra is looking a little bit like a camisole and it's showing a tiny bit of cleavage and it looks fabulous. 
I mean, not that I really pay attention to women's cleavage all that much, but it's not overdone. It looks great. And she thinks it's a rombra. So we have talked about one of the things that drives her nuts is when women wear sports bras under their normal clothing. I'm just going to tell you, Lisa, it works. Well, I did wear this also because it was going to be used as the camisole. But, you know, here's the deal. When we're Zooming and we get to look at ourselves the entire time, right? Note to everybody, note to self, if you don't like how it looks, go change your outfit. <laughs> so did you want me to take a pause in our, in our podcast so you can make a change or are you going to be okay with this? Because I mean, I only want your best work out of this podcast. Well, I know the fact that you draw, you drew attention to it was a little alarming for me, <laughs> but I'll get through it, Katie. I'll get through it. You know, I like to take you out of your comfort zone. That's part oh, of all the time, every day, all day. Right. So that's what part of what this podcast is. So you're just going to have to lean into it. And that's a great lesson for everyone. If you're not, if somebody points something out that you're not comfortable with, or that makes you think about that, how do you then, what are your strategies now? What are your strategies going to be to focus on something else. Exactly. exactly. No, what are they? What are they? How are you going to focus on something else? I'm asking you, I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, oh how am I going to focus on something yes, else? Yes, ma'am. I'm going to do the podcast with this incredible guest. And I'm not going to think about the fact that I put on the wrong sports bra. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this moment so much. I would like to just relish in it, but we have to move on. We are going to get a picture of this because I think that that is picture worthy. So we'll be looking for that on social media as she. Oh, no, we won't, Katie. <laughs> Most <laughs> certainly will. And uh, we will, you know, lightheartedness is great and it's important. And I think that's one of the things we need to keep, keep to the forefront also and not getting in our own head about these types of things so that we can go on is, is probably pretty important as well. Look at all these little lessons we're learning from Lisa's incorrect bra, which I can't help saying a number of times. <laughs> it's going to go down in history, folks. It's going to go down in history. We're going to oh. take a quick little pivot again. We're going to take a break and sing the praises of Continental Diamonds, who we are so grateful to have as our sponsor. And uh, we're fortunate to have great sponsors and a big shout out to Renee Keller, Renee Keller Interior Design and Cher Brothers Custom Closets. And those three are in our wheelhouse right now of our fabulous sponsorship. And, uh, so yeah, we'll take a quick break and then we will come back and meet Sally Mixon. Stay tuned. Are you ready to elevate your jewelry and gift buying experience? Then you need Continental Diamond. Since 1981, Helene and Jimmy Pessis have been operating Continental Diamond. Their staff is highly trained, exceptional, and have been with them for many years and they will help you find the exact right gift. For the past 13 years, Continental Diamond has been named Minnesota Bride's Best Jeweler. Beyond engagement rings, they have a large selection of fashion jewelry, timepieces, and they have one of the most experienced service departments around. 
You can visit them online at continentaldiamond.com. Go in and give yourself the gift of that experience. It's a special place located just 10 minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, right outside the West End. Plan your visit. Continental Diamond. Continentaldiamond.com. Sally Mixon, thank you so much for being on our podcast with us. We are so excited to learn more about you. Let I want to get right into it. First of all, help me with the pronunciation of the organization, because even though you just told me literally right before we came on, I'm struggling with it. Yeah, it's Abijah's. Abijah, long I. Long I. And it's the organization is called Abijah on the backside. Yes. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. So, well, Abijah's came from, it's Hebrew. It means the Lord is my father. And it was my first horse that I ever had, my very own horse. So, um, but Abijah's is a mental health organization that uses retired racehorses to serve and help our military and our first responders and all the stable workers in the racing industry who are struggling with trauma, PTSD, depression, anxiety, all of the above. How did this come to you to do this really important work? Well, gosh, how far back should I go? Um, As far back as you need to go. (laughs) So horses. When you were born. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was five or six ish when I rode my first horse. So I started very young. Um, I would scoop poop all day so I could ride a horse for free. Um, that was my, I was a hard little worker. Um, my dad's Marine. uh, So I grew up in in that kind of cultural, um, component where you never, you never do, do anything that you're not going to finish, right? You start and you go all out. Um, I have twin brothers and a sister and my twin brothers are both cops. So military first responder culture is just very, um, important and close and near and dear to my heart. Through my whole journey of becoming who I am today, I struggled with severe anorexia. Um, I almost lost my life in college. I had to drop out and went into rehab, um, hated every second of it, (laughs) Um, but got out and I moved to East Texas and I worked at a kind of a semi lockdown facility for youth that were struggling. And I ran their horse program. Um, And so every time I went, you know, to help people, I felt like God gave me a bunch of horses to work with. And so I was like, okay, I see what you're up to. Like, I'll just go to his people. So um, that's kind of where the idea started. From Texas, I moved to Oklahoma and I met this beautiful soul named Jeff Lucas. And Jeff Lucas was the trainer of the horse when I was five years old, that won the Kentucky Derby and her name was winning colors. And I remember being five years old, watching this girl beat the boys. And I'm a super competitive kid. And my sister, older sister picked her to win. She was like eight, I think. And I just remember watching this amazing female was amazing Philly crossed the finish line. And she's the the second Philly to ever win the Kentucky Derby to this day. And that was in 1988. She was the last one to do it. Wow. And 
I was hooked in the racing industry. I was like, okay, I got to ride horses for the rest of my life because I can beat the boys. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how the whole idea of bringing it to the racing industry um, kind of started long, long time ago. What a cool story. And, and through obviously the trials and tribulations, did the quest to be the best you could be, did that bring on the, the, the health issues and the anorexia to try to fit that mold of that person that's going to sit on that horse to do that kind of racing? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I was always um, really tall, so I could never be a a jockey without, you know, being very, very sick. So, um, but I think that perfectionism um, was definitely a part of, of me growing up and not that my parents pushed that nothing like that. that. They're the closest people I have in my life. Like they're my two best friends. And I just, something in me was just constantly wanting to be perfect. And that's a, there's a big difference, I think, between perfect and being the best you can be because the best you can be now, I mean, I, I, I know it's also all the messiness. Like it's, it makes us, you know, who we are and it's the good and the bad. And that's, I mean, that it engulfs all of those things. And, and I'm as messy as you can get, let me tell you. So, um, and being an, now I'm an exercise jockey. So I ride, I do ride the horses in the morning at, at the racetrack. So I'm with all the jockeys. Um, and I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing more fun and more of an adrenaline rush than getting up on your first horse at five 30 in the morning. And, going around the track and being part of that culture, but it is a male dominant sport. And so there's been, you know, there's been trials with that too, being a woman out there, there's not many of us. And um, my stubbornness, I guess, has really kept me going, Um, taking a number of spills, um, ambulance rides, all of that. And it's part of the game. And um yeah, that grit that I was born with, you just, I've really tapped into it. Well, it's, it's as if your life experiences have truly, it's not as if your life experiences have led you to this. hundred percent. I think, you know, really the military background and giving you that attention to detail and what's really needed and the no quit, your love of horses and your ability to work through that. It's a very it appears to be a very solitary type of a sport as well. So talk about that a little bit and how that pertains to mental health. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think I tell everybody who comes to Abijah's that in order to be a healthy horse, you, you have to have a healthy herd. And, and racehorses are very for lack of a better word, segregated, right? They're in their own stalls. They're on, they're on their own mission, all of those things. And so when we take horses from off the track, I give them time to be a horse again, right? They get to know another horse. They get to have their own personality. They don't have to just work every day and be an athlete. They can be who they are. So their personality starts to kind of um, take over and you see the real horse. And that's the same thing with, with the people we serve. They often, they come and they, they have removed themselves from their herd, whatever that is. 
and they're alone. I mean, that's what mental health does. It really separates us from our close friends, family, and isolates us. And so when they come, um, it's the beginning of them really stepping in and finding their herd again. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see how they light up with these horses. It's amazing to see how much in common they have with these horses. Um, the horses that we use often, not all of the time, but quite often, they cannot be ridden anymore. So they've had a, a you know a, an injury that's going to affect them the rest of their life. And in the horse racing industry, if you can't be ridden and you're not fast, your value is depleted. Right? You're you're a nobody. Oh, but I have a question. Do you notice a difference in the horses that you use over time and how they kind of change in their demeanor and their personality? Yeah, they actually change depending on the client. That's Uh, what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So they pick up on what's going on internally in, in the client and they play that out externally. So, I mean, as an example, I had, this was years ago when I started Um, but I had this woman that came out and I had eight horses at the time and every single one of them laid down in a circle around her, which is very bizarre, right? Like it was just very odd behavior. And she started crying and she said, well, how do they know? I said, well, how do they know what? And she said, I almost didn't get up today. I almost killed myself. Oh my God. And that's what they're doing. These horses are giving people words when they don't have the words. So she saw these, you know, gorgeous 1100, 1200 pound animals lay down. And then she went over to one of them and was able to help this horse get up, get back up. And she had labeled that horse herself. So rather than just talking about you know, struggles and depression, which can be helpful, but this is so much more powerful because they are experiencing it. And you can't forget an experience like that. I mean, you change, it completely changes who you are. And did she stay with that horse for the rest of the time? Yeah, she did. Oh, that's incredible. That that so speaks to the energy and the intelligence of these beautiful animals who are not asking to do what they do. They're chosen by humans to do what they do. And so then that's a whole nother thing, but that also brings us to back to you coming up with this idea and then having to get to the people at Canterbury Mm-hmm. to be able to use these horses. What I'm going to ask this question first, what happens to those horses after they retire from riding generally, especially the ones that can no longer ride? What generally happens to those horses? Uh, hopefully they find some sort of rescue. Um, there are some amazing programs here that do that. Sadly, often some are euthanized. Um, so it really depends on the owner. Um, it depends on, you know, who's taking care of this horse. And I love, love racing. And, and I, I love the, the racing industry when it's done well. 
when it's done poorly, it's horrific. And that's one of the, the missions and the vision of Abijah's is to also elevate the entire racing industry. Um, so it's healthier, better for these horses. It's healthier and better for the people. Because um, these horses love to run. I, I'll tell, I mean, I know firsthand, <laughs> like, they love to run and they get so excited to get out there. But we need to do a better job. We're, we're getting there, but we need to do a better job at protecting and helping and supporting these animals when they can no longer do that. Same with our veterans, same with our first responders. And is your vision that this is the first of many? Yeah, yeah. So I want to bring this to every major racetrack across the country because um, there's horses that need it, right? They need a second career um, in saving lives. And there's people all over the country in this mental health crisis we're in. And I think that the racing industry can become a place of hope and healing, which is like crazy to think. Like people don't think of a racetrack as a place where healing takes place. But don't you also have to find people like you who can run these programs as efficiently and as caring as you do? I mean, you can have the horses, but you need the people behind it to help the people, right? Absolutely. So the model, the model we use, the therapeutic model is called ARCH. It stands for Arenas for Change. And it was founded and, and started by a very dear friend, Lynn Thomas, and a group of um, core people that really started this. And I was lucky enough to be a, a mentee of Lynn Thomas and Lynn Moore. Lynn Moore is another one that runs an amazing program. Um, and so they trained me into this about a little over 10 years ago. And through that, through that model and that organization, there are people all over the country that do similar work, but they've never taken it to the racing industry using retired thoroughbreds specifically. So with that being said, there's organizations, there's people out there as we expand, I can tap into and say, hey, I'm gonna train you not only on the culture of retired thoroughbreds, but the culture of a racetrack. And we're gonna bring it to Lexington or Tampa or you know, all different, all, all over. When did this all come to you that you need to approach it this way and at Canterbury? How did you get to Minnesota? Uh, so my family, I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, so I had family in, you know, the Twin Cities area, Minneapolis area. And I was living in, in St. Paul at the time. And I just felt like, it, honestly, it was a calling. Um, I felt like I needed to take it to the racing industry. Um, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. So I shared with Canterbury what I wanted to do. And initially it was kind of like, you know, you, you kind of, it's hard to put it in layman's terms. I kind of felt like I was at like a car shop and I had no idea what I was doing. And they were looking at me like I was an idiot. Like I was the girl that knew nothing. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Okay, screw this. So I went and got a job on the backside and started galloping. Um, I thought if I can get the people, the stable workers, the core, the heartbeat of the industry to trust me and be, if I can become one of them, I could go about it from that direction. So I did that. Um, I ponied for a while, which is when you keep thoroughbreds kind of quiet. I'm on a different horse holding them. And then I started galloping and breaking out of the gate and 
doing all that stuff and ambulance rides and, you know, becoming a backside worker. And they started trusting me. And from that point on, um, Canterbury started listening. I said, okay, I guess she's not going to go away. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably annoying. (laughs) Well, and testament to people at Canterbury, because understandably, when you first approached them, right, they're a business, they're in the business of making money and creating, you know, entertainment and all everything that goes with that part of the business. So then taking one more piece of that away and going, what? No, we don't see the vision. We don't, but right through your trust and then having them be trusting enough to say, okay, she's got something here and understanding the good that it would do to their people and their horses uh, where did Mark come in on all of this? I talked a little <laughs> bit about Mark Irving, who I described as the best hype guy you could ever possibly meet. Yeah. So I barely knew Mark at the time. And I asked him, I knew he was retired British jockey um, and he was on the front side, right? Working for the track. And I said, Mark, can you sign me in to get into the backside, into the stable area? Cause you need an ID to get back there um, through security. And he said, oh yeah, of course. He didn't know what I was planning on doing, nothing like that. He just got me back there. And then, you know, a couple months later, he saw me galloping and he was like, wait, what are you doing? And then I filled him in on the vision and he's become like a brother ever since. He's like, how, how can I help? What can I do? Um, and that's how that relationship started. Well, and we have to thank Mark for bringing you to us. He is, when I first met Mark at a Twin City Dunkers event, an organization I'm involved in, and he just, he is infectious, (laughs) Mark is. And when I talked to him about the podcast and he said, oh, you really need to bring on Sally. Sally is, so that direction, um, he's, he is a good big brother. Yeah, he's incredible. And very good at. Yeah. Very good at what he does. If you are interested in an experience at Canterbury, yes, you connected with Mark Irving, it is uh, yes. something to behold and very enjoyable. Yeah, it's a, he he puts on an amazing show. I love him. That's that's true. The show at the show is what yeah. he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. I want to talk about how you organize yourself and changes that you've experienced personally over your time. Lisa, I know, is going to have some questions on how you show up to greet your day and stay tuned. We'll be right back. back. We are with Bridget Edwards from Sheer Brothers Custom Closets. Bridget, let's talk garages. What are you seeing in garage storage and organization? Garage storage is always nice. It's especially nice if you don't have a mudroom to store all those things like your kids' sporting equipment and boots and all those kinds of things that end up in the home. So we can outfit your garage with all kinds of different storage units and cabinets to keep your garage looking tidy and neat. We also do slat wall. We do workbenches. We do mega shelving, which really holds tons of weight and provides great storage for all those garage type things. And the mega shelving 
designed by Share Brothers by manufacturing and the depth options and length options are so incredible that you don't have a lot of dividers. So it's really easy to use. It's exactly that. It can pretty much hold anything or any weight. And I really do also like the idea of not having anxiety every time I drive into my garage and have to look at the mess. So this helps with that. What's the best way for people to initiate working with Shear Brothers? Call or you can go onto our website and from there, a designer will be in touch with you and we'll get the process started. The website is shearbrosclosets.com. Phone number is 763-531-7400. I would have to say that Shear Brothers Custom Closets helps you get your zen on. Great way to put it. I love that. And we are back with Sally Mixon from Abijah's on the backside. And, you know, chatting, we always have these great conversations and more information on in our little breaks, but you mentioned something about how horse racing got started. And I think that's worth sharing because I didn't know that. Yeah. So horse racing, um, really came about, um, and became, became a big deal during the great depression here in the U S and it was because it gave people hope. I mean, that was a time in our history that when people were losing everything and there wasn't much hope and horse racing has been so fun because the underdog always has a chance. And I think Every single one of us, every single one of my clients, every single woman, every single person out there has at some point felt like the underdog, um, that they don't have a chance, right? Who am I kind of thing? And horse racing, you always have a chance. You go into that starting gate and you can win. And that's what is so exciting to me um, about racing. And that's really the heart of it. It was about the little guy, about he could be as, you know, could, could go up against the big ones. Literally and, and figuratively. It's literally about the and figuratively. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yeah. and the industry has certainly had its iterations and changed over time. And, you know, there's always intended and unintended consequences. And really your business that you have founded has come about through unintended consequences in a way so now let's talk about the business part of it. You wake up in the morning. What's your day look like? <laughs> oh, it depends. Oh, during the racing season here at Canterbury, my day starts at about, usually get up about 4.30 and get myself going. Um, I get to the track at about 5.30, get on my first horse and gallop for the first three-ish hours in the morning. Um, I live really close now, which is nice. So then I, I run home, I shower because you don't want me in the office after I've been galloping <laughs> and I get ready for the day and sessions start at about 1030 um, every day. And that, that's 1030 because it's after training. Um, so we see about 35 to 40 clients a week right now, um, which comes out to be about 2000 sessions a year. Um, and most of the clients are military or first responders that are coming from all over the Metro, um, firefighters, cops, dispatch, um, EMS, all of, all of those individuals that are serving us. So 
Uh, it's a full day. It's usually a good 12 hour day most days if I'm lucky. Um, and then I'm the chaplain as well for the racetrack. So during the season on, on race days, I'm down in the jocks room and the gate crew and making sure everybody's doing okay. If a jockey goes down, I, I usually jump in the ambulance and go with them. And so I kind of have a number of different hats, but it's all about racing. So I feel like, I feel like I never work because I love it. <laughs> so, well, so you have these 12 hour days, right? Yeah. Do you ever say, okay, I need X day off. Like do you have one day off during the week because you need for your own mental health to regroup. Yeah. You know, I'm getting better at that. That's something I'm learning um, to slow down. I, I go, go, go. And so my, my therapy is really galloping in the morning. That's what I love. And that gives me peace. And it's the most relaxed time of the day for me when I'm going really fast on a horse, as weird as that sounds. Um, but yes, there's days where I just need to say, you know what, I'm closing my door. I'm sleeping. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm just going to do me and hang out with my puppy and nobody bother me. So yeah, absolutely. And I'm a work in progress for sure. Getting better. When do you have time to work on the business end of things? Because that's, and, and yeah. is, is that an unexpected? Yeah. <laughs> so part I, have, of this? <laughs> I would say there's, there's two people. Um, well, one, one organization, Belmont partners, um, they're a PR marketing firm that have taken us on pro bono and they are incredible what they do. Marine heads, heads up our um, Abijah's and there and her and her team have just been incredible for us. And then obviously I need to you know, share about Danny. So Danny Palmer is my business partner and she is uh, just brilliant and so gifted at um, fundraising and uh, marketing as well and really donor management and all of those things that you need, you know, you need to have as a business. And so between her and I and Belmont Partners, we're able to, to keep moving this train along. Um, and I couldn't do it without them. I absolutely could not do that. Well, and Marine is Marine Cahill, who is a phenomenal. She does a beautiful job at what she does. Yeah. Incredible. Very neat. Uh, how do these, um, I guess you can call them clients. Mm -hmm. How do they find you? How do they know about the program? You know, how does that work? So it's often word of mouth because we'll see one from a department and they go back and they tell their, you know, their friends, their partners. Um, the thing with first responders in particular is they don't trust a lot of mental health organizations, right? Because there is a mental health stigma. So if we're looking, let's just look at cops as an example. If they are diagnosed with PTSD, that's scary because they might lose their job. That's their fear. Um, and so something Abijah's does, and I'm very proud that we're, we're able to do this, is we do not use insurance because, because of that reason, or, or because we don't use insurance, we do not have to give a diagnostic assessment. So there's no mm. diagnoses that go into this. So if we're not going to, a cop's not going to come and we're going to say you, you are diagnosed with PTSD. As clinicians, we're all master level under, you know, have our own license, state licensure or under supervision. However, 
we do not have to diagnose them. In the back of our mind, we know they probably have PTSD, anxiety, depression, all of that, but it won't go on their record. And that's huge. That's huge for this population. And once they hear that, they, they just start calling. They start emailing. They reach out. And then they, they use their own money out of pocket to pay for. So our first responders and military don't pay anything. We have oh. some incredible donors who have stepped up. Um, some are racehorse owners who have said, you know, you are elevating the industry. You're giving these horses new careers. Um, we want to help you. And they see these miracles happening. And it's kind of infectious once people hear about it. And so they've started donating. Um, we don't want any of our military or first responders to pay a dime, of course, unless they want to. We do have a give back program, which is a dollar a day program. And they can jump on that. And so for $30 a month, it goes back into scholarship funds for that population. But we don't ask them for anything. That's amazing. That's, that's incredible. That really is. That really is amazing. Now you talked about uh, your, your training, your certifications. Tell me what that looks like. Is that a degree that you got in psychology? What? Yeah. So I have myself and my team that are, we're mental health professionals. So we do have a master's in counseling or social work, you know, whatever kind of area they went into. Mine is a um, professional counseling degree, master's degree. Um, and then my, my, there's another part of my team, we call them equine specialists and they have a minimum of 6,000 hours of course, behavior, dynamic experiences. So it's not just riding, it's really understanding the horse from a herd dynamic and the psychology of a horse. And then these individuals are then certified in the model we use, which is arch. And that's a three day training. And then every two years, they also go back for CEUs and, you know, go through training again. So we're really setting a standard um, that's, that's very high for the professionals that come in and want to get involved with the Baijas. Um, they're amazing, talented people. Incredible. Hmm. I'm just, it's, you think about all the pieces and then all the pieces of your life that have come together to do this. Did the, did the counseling did your master's degree come before starting this organization? Uh, kind of during, because um, I started out as the equine specialist. Um, and so through that, and, and I personally, with my history of mental, mental illness, I hated counseling. I hate it. So, so I still think it's funny that I became a counselor, um, but I wanted to learn about myself. And so that's when I decided to go back to school and get my master's and, and really expand this business. If I was going to lead an organization, I wanted to be able to do both roles um, and be able to train on both roles. So that was the thought process behind it. How many people do you encounter when you're talking about this that indicate that this would be something that they could use as well? whether they're in the mental health profession or, or excuse me, in the, in the first responder profession or not. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, so many it's yeah. <laughs> so many. One of the things we, we do as well is 
my team, because we're working with this with this unique population, they're also culturally trained in that culture. So, for example, I go to um, firefighter training. Like I went into a live burn not too long ago. So I'm geared up and I'm with other firefighters and I'm going into a burning house um, because I'm experiencing that role, right? My team goes on ride-alongs with cops. Like you need to kind of step into that culture as well as a clinician to put ourselves in their shoes as best as we can if we're going to ask them to come and put, you know, be in our boots <laughs> and do this. And so it really is a relationship um, that we build with these, with these individuals, with these departments, um, and they begin to trust us. It really is inspiring. It's so inspiring. What has been the biggest surprise to all of this? Is there something that you can tap, that you can think about that has something you didn't think about? Honestly, I'm surprised at how big it's getting. (laughs) That's been, that's a surprise. I mean, I've always believed in it, but it's one thing to have this entrepreneur mindset and this vision. And I mean, I've always believed in it, but then when other people start believing in it, that's, that's cool. That's exciting. Um, and it's been kind of a surprise, like, oh my gosh, people are actually doing this. Belmont partners coming on and saying, we believe in it so much. We want to do it pro bono. Like, wait, what? Um, I mean, being on y'all show, like people wanting to know about it. All of that has been fun and a surprise at times because it's been my dream for so long. So. Well, the good, I mean, you can, you can feel your heart, Sally, you can feel your heart and your desire to do the good that you're doing. And when you hear your story of where that started, it has been in you from really the time you were born, Lisa, joking about going back to, I was <laughs> I <know. born. laughs> It's true. It's, it's yeah. all there. So has it been, you, you talked about, you are a female in a very male dominated industry. So how have you navigated getting through that? Yeah, I think my stubbornness and grit has really helped me. Um, I mean, I've always been, I get along with the boys um, I can ride and, you know, do as much as they can do and trash talking. If I'm honest, if I give it right back, <laughs> like, um, it's just, you got to let stuff roll off your shoulders. Um, but it's fun. I mean, it's definitely a cowboy kind of mentality and growing up in the culture I grew up in. And it's, I think God just kind of like, I don't know, put the pieces together and made me who I am to deal with it. Um, Sometimes I can cuss like a sailor and sometimes, you know, I just, you just kind of work with within the system. So um, um, I think, may I throw this out in the universe to you is yeah. somebody needs to do a movie or a, a series on, on like your life. I mean, you can help yeah. write the story. You don't sure. have to be in the story, but from where you came from to what you're doing now, and all the pieces in between that you you've now saved so many lives and will continue to save lives of people. Do you get any of the stories after, like once they've been through your program and they, it, you've literally changed 
who they are and now they can function maybe in the real yeah. world. Do yeah. you, do they connect with you or do you not see them very often? No, it's, it's pretty awesome. A lot of times they'll come back and, and say, thank you. A lot of times we'll have testimonials where I'll ask if, you know, we want to create a video of testimonials and I'll have clients that are just knocking at my door saying, I want to share, I want to share. Um, which is like, I mean, the, the best compliment you could ever have that a client wants to share how Abijah's helped save their life. Like it, I mean, it brings tears in my eyes all the time. And I, I mean, some of these men that are, you know, pretty macho and, you know, don't show any sort of vulnerability to see them tear up um, when this horse is just breathing on their face and giving them kisses. And like, it's just like, it melts you. And so, yeah, it, that's been, that's been what keeps you going, you know, on the, on the low days when you're tired and you're burned out and you hear those stories and you get a good hug from a client and just, they say, thank you. That's, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I know. I get, I, I have that in what I do for a living. So that's yeah. why I keep doing it. Yeah. So, well, when you can find the passion to help really, I think the three of us share that in common in different ways. Yes. I, I look back on everything that I've done in my life and it's been a lot of, a lot of different things. And I wonder sometimes how it all fits together. The common thread of it all is being helpful. And, you know, that's, that's really kind of the key, isn't it? Being helpful. You've taken it to the next level, Sally, really in a beautiful way. We generally have a nonprofit spotlight on our show. And in that non, because, uh, Abijah's on the backside is a for profit business. However, there is a nonprofit component to that. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So we have a national partner called horses for mental health. And actually the woman who started the certification, the model that we use also has this horses for mental health nonprofit. And it's international um, and they have taken us on. And so all of the donations go through Horses for Mental Health and they are earmarked for Abijah's. So people can go right on our website, donate. It goes through Horses for Mental Health, earmarked to us, and then we invoice them for scholarships as needed. Oh, fantastic. Now, if somebody wanted to actually see your operation, what you're doing, is that something that you're set up to do between you and Danny to bring organizations out or bring people out who say, Hey, I might be interested in giving to this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So they just email me, email me or Danny, and we set that up with them. They can, we bring them to the backside. A lot of times I'll try to organize it where there's a, it's on a race day. So I can bring them back, meet our four-legged horses, and then they can kind of get an idea of you know, the backside of a racetrack, which very few people get to see. And then I bring them to the front side for a fun race and bring them to Mark and let Mark, you know, do his thing. And they can really capture this whole racing um, day and experience. So I, I'm going to give Mark a new moniker. <laughs> I want to call him Magic Mark. I love <laughs> I haven't met Mark, but I'm still laughing because of what you told me about him. So, oh my goodness. I just love him so much. He's, he's like the greatest. He's the greatest. You just want to put him in your pocket and take you him do. everywhere you go. You do. And <laughs> okay, being a so six wait. foot tall woman, 
uh, Mark could almost fit in my pocket, finding out he's married to a six foot tall woman. So yeah, he's, he's a giant in everything but stature, as far as I'm concerned. Very true. Okay, yes. so I have just a couple questions. Um, you, we've kind of touched on some of them. But when you're not working, I mean, what is one of your favorite things to do besides what you do? Because that is your passion. Like it can be something very quirky. It can be. What do I like to do? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I love to go to the beach if I can, if I have time to travel. Like I love the ocean. I love anything that has to do with animals. So hiking, beach, like I just love critters. So (laughs) um, anything like that is relaxing. Just being outside, going for walks. Um, Yeah, I enjoy that. Now you were raised in Wisconsin, but we oh. absolutely know that you have a little bit of a Southern accent. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where'd that come from? <laughs> yeah, it comes out a little bit. So I lived in East Texas for quite a long time and then Southeast Oklahoma. Um, and that's where I met Jeff Lucas, the trainer of winning colors. And, um, and then I was married to an uh, um, amazing man for 14 years and he, he's from Oklahoma. So I lived for 14 years with, um, yeah, a Southern accent. So that's probably where it comes from. Well, it's, it's wonderful. It's very, very fun to hear. Lisa, last question. Oh, Lisa. Okay. Yep. You, (laughs) I I, I know the answer to the question I was going to ask her, but we'll let her answer. What is your superpower? Ooh, probably my passion and my grit think you need both. So that's what I thought she was going to say, but very, very true. You definitely are incredible. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Y'all are amazing. Thank you for having me on and wanting to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I I have another question. I have a side note question. It's nothing to do with you, (laughs) but I am also an animal lover. Um, I, I, unfortunately, when I was young, um, I got thrown off a horse and I hurt myself and nobody got me back on that horse. So I am a little fearful of getting on a big horse, but I do love horses in this heat and in, and in the cold in the winter, like, what do you need to do extra to make sure that these horses stay healthy? I mean, we have two extremes here in Minnesota, so. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Well, with thoroughbreds, thoroughbreds have a very thin skin. And so in the winter, until they really kind of get their coat, because a lot of them are traveling all over, so they don't really get a good coat until about the third year if they're staying in Minnesota. So um, coat meaning their hair and, you know, all of that. So we we have big, big blankets we put on them. If they're dry and um, out of the, the wind, they're really good. They're warm. Um heat can almost be harder because heat comes with the bugs and all of that. So when it's, you know, a hundred degree heat index, you need to make sure they have enough water, electrolytes and um, things like that, getting in the shade. Um, it right now are my horses at the track, they all have fans. So they stand in front of the fans. And they oh, cool so they off. know to do that. The horses they do like naturally know to do that. Okay. Yeah. We'll spray them off, get them with some cool water and then they'll stand in front of their fan and They're so cute. (laughs) They love it. 
their personalities come out. I be- believe, yes. right? They're, yes. They definitely. I uh, when I was a kid, we had a cabin up north in Siren, Wisconsin, and I met some people there who had an Arabian stallion. They were um, just lovely people. I got to know because I just pestered them all the time. Going down there, I spent a couple of summers in blue jeans and long sleeve shirts um, with that Arabian stallion. And they said, Arabians do not take to a lot of people. So eventually by the end of it, I was mucking the stalls and all of that for two whole summers until I think sports really got in my, got in my blood and I wasn't, but that was some of the best times of my life. And we'd go to horse shows and, and whatnot. So I do have that feeling and I'm always enjoying horses. I will tell you, I have not been a Canterbury park goer because of lake places up north. So summers are spent heading, heading north, but what a phenomenal experience and truly a a special shout out to the people that were smart enough to see that what you were doing really, really mattered. And an extra shout out to Mark Irving, who is amazing. If people want to get a hold of you, Sally, how do they do that? Yep. The the best thing they can do is email me. So it's Sally at, and then it's a long one, but it's Abijah's on the backside.com. Spell Abijah's. A B as in boy, I J A H S.com. And on there, there is a link to get to, if you click the donate link, that will bring you through to the nonprofit organization that earmarks it to you, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Very good. That's correct. Sally, thank you so much. Nothing but success to you. We will see you out there again. I would love to come see the backside. So thank you all so much. Thank you, Sally, very much. You know, Lisa, it is truly an honor to have spoken to Sally and what she has done with this. You just said it. It's her life's work. It's her life's work. Yeah. And it's, um, you don't know it until you get to talk to her. And like we've said, Katie, from the time we started this podcast, everybody has a story and it's what you do with your story. Right. And this is her story. I think it should be made into something bigger, like I already said on the podcast, but it's incredible. Yeah. At the very least, a documentary. At the very least. Yeah. But I think there'd be some great actors in part of her story. (laughs) I think you're right that to talk about this, I don't think racing is going to go away anytime soon. So it creates the need. And there are always going to be first responders. There are always going to be people who are going to be very brave in their desire to reach out for help with their mental health. We all have mental health needs. Some of us are just better at navigating through them. And honestly, I don't even know if it's that so much. Sometimes I don't know if you know you're good at or bad at navigating through them. To open yourself up, what what really floored me was when she talked about the fact that I would say most people don't want a diagnosis because of the stigma around it, right? Even though we're we're having so much more conversation about all of this, people still, it's still stigmatized in so many ways. And so having gotten by that and figured out how to get by that, still having all the people in place, but not having to work through that insurance system is really brilliant. 
And I think that has been probably one of the big keys to that organization to be able to help as many people as they're helping. And I really, really hope they're able to figure out how to replicate that for other tracks, other states. It's certainly shown to be well needed. I agree. I agree. That one, that, that one was a surprise in a really good way. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's just going to touch a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Right. And I think as we, as we stated, it's our desire through this podcast to be helpful. Really. Yes. That's and the- to find the best version of yourself. Right. And that, that requires all sorts of things, right? For some people, uh, for all of us, it's good mental health. For some people, it's uh, how they put their face together. For some people, it's their hair. It really, it's for some people, it's, there's just so many ways of how you put yourself together and what makes you uniquely you. What we want from people is to wake up and when they get that first glimpse in the mirror, we want them to feel the value that they bring to whatever it is they're doing. Now with that, I'm going to tell you that if you want to reach out to us, you can do so via our website, theviewinyourmirror.com. From there, you will find our social media links. You will find links to us individually. We're happy to hear from you. And we love the input. We love the feedback. We love the texts we get from our listeners, our friends, our family, when something speaks to them. And that just makes us feel like we're on the right path. So on behalf of Lisa and I, we thank you. And we wish you the most excellent day until next time.